You're tuned in to More Living with Jim Brogan. Broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Good weekend, East Tennessee. It's More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. You're listening to News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Believe it or not, it has been almost 80 years since the federal government very quietly took over 60,000 acres nestled in the ridges of East Tennessee. Quickly, the area was nicknamed the Secret City as tens of thousands of people flocked there during World War II, most of them unknowingly helped to build, helping to build the world's first atomic bomb. Later, the area was renamed Oak Ridge, and today there is still an element of secrecy as you approach the gated complex, uh, complexes at ORNL and Y-12. Oak Ridge has continued to play a vital role in our national security and energy industries, as they continue to research and develop products for not only military and government use, but also explore ways to make impacts on everyday life and our energy consumption. Our guest today is Mr. Ray Smith, historian for the city of Oak Ridge. Ray worked at Y-12 for nearly five decades as the Y-12 National Security Complex historian. He writes a weekly column for the Oak Ridger, and has helped to document the history of Y-12 on film. Uh, Ray was awarded the National Secure, excuse me, the National Nuclear Security Administration's Distinguished Service Gold Award in 2019, and he was selected by the East Tennessee Historical Society to receive a Lifetime Achievement Award for Community History. Uh, good morning, Ray. It's great to have you back on the show. Good morning, Jim. It's good to be here. Yes, sir. Oak Ridge, Ray, has really had a unique and fascinating history, and I know you've been cataloging its history throughout your career. What you got, what got you so interested in the secret city and, and being a historian for, for the secret city? Well, that, uh, that goes back to the middle 70s. John Rice Irwin, who was the founder of the... Uh, Museum of Appalachia had uh, had a, a Indian statue on a white woman's grave up in uh, Arnvine Cemetery up in Upper East Tennessee, and he wanted a photograph of it. He knew I was a photographer, and he told me he wanted me to go make that picture. So I did. He wanted to put it in the Tennessee Blue Book, and uh, then he wanted me to put a little article about it in his museum. So. I had to do some research. I got interested there in the uh, Revolutionary War period because that's when Nancy Ward lived as Cherokee beloved woman. And for I didn't for years pick up on the Manhattan Project. Now I'm working at Y12, and I was I knew about what we were doing. I knew about the Cold War, but I always thought there was maybe too much 
I feel the same way about the Civil War. There's a whole lot there to learn, too. But I eventually decided that, that somebody needed to uh, publicize some of the things, the facts about Oak Ridge, and especially about Y-12. Now, yes, you're right. There's still some secrecy there. But there's a whole lot of what was being done out there that would be available, could be made available to the public. And uh, and over the years, as the Cold War ended, the emphasis on knowing what we were doing out there became more important. So they agreed with me that it was time to let the public know more about what we do. Now, not sharing anything that has to do with the nuclear weapons. Those things are still, that's protected information. But <clears throat> other things that was happening at Y-12, like, the moon box that was on the Apollo program that brought the 840 pounds of lunar material back, those boxes were built at Y-12. And most people didn't know those kind of things. So it was a fertile field for me to get into. I enjoyed doing it for sure. And uh, when I had the opportunity in 2000, uh, I took advantage of it and created the historian position eventually at the at Y twelve and they still have that position today. So I'm proud that I was able to start something that is being uh, being continued. Uh, just last week we dedicated the first Manhattan Project National Historical Park sign placed on a, on the government DOE property there at Y twelve at building ninety seven thirty one. First building completed at Y twelve. So, yes, uh, history is doing well in Oak Ridge. Uh, the Manhattan Project National Historical Park is doing well. And, yeah, Oak Ridge continues to do things every day that help people around the world. Yeah, it's pretty amazing as you die. As yeah. We're going to dive into some of the history. Uh, I think as, as time, you know, as more and more time goes by, I think there's more and more people mm -hmm. in the area really don't understand the, the significance. You know, later this right. year, 80 years will have passed since Colonel Leslie yeah. Groves, who was overseeing the Manhattan Project, selected mm -hmm. land along the Clinch River 20 miles west of Knoxville at the site mm -hmm. that would figure out how to enrich uranium for the atomic bomb. Mm -hmm. What was it like when this first took place in 1942? Well, the interesting thing... <clears throat> about that is uh, in, in 1942, during the summer, there were people down here coming through, looking at the land. They were looking at several places, several locations, and uh, they they didn't know exactly which one they were going to choose. But uh, when President Roosevelt started the Manhattan Project, he knew it would be an expensive undertaking. And, and as you say, he put General Groves in charge of it. So Groves came down here the first time in September of 1942, but <clears throat> President Roosevelt <laughs> also called in Senator McKellar, and he said, Senator, I need to put a large amount of money against the war effort, and I can't let the press or anyone know how much it is or what it's being used for. Can you help me with that? <laughs> Senator yeah. McKellar said, yes, Mr. President, I can do that for you. Just where in Tennessee you going to put that thing? <laughs> That may have had more to do with us getting selected in East Tennessee than the riches and the valleys and, and the lay of the land. But uh, it, it did turn out that nearly 60,000 acres was uh, was selected for the, for the Clinton Engineer Works, which is a part of the Manhattan Project. 
And another, uh, just a quick story about Senator McKellar that uh, Lester Fox told me. Now, Lester passed away just uh, within the last six months. But he told me that uh, when he was a sophomore in high school at Oliver Springs, he was skipping school one day. Him and his buddy were playing a pinball machine. When they got through, they were walking down the main street of the town. They walked by the telephone office. The telephone operator leaned their head out and said, Lester, go get the principal. He's got an important phone call. Now, Lester's skipping school, but he does. He goes and gets the principal. principal comes over and takes the phone call, comes back to the school, calls all the students together in an assembly, and says, I've just gotten a phone call from Senator McKellar. He wants me to tell you to go home and tell your parents you're going to have to find another place to live. The government's going to take your property for the war effort. Now, Lester swears that's the way these 3,000 people first learned they were going to have to get off 60,000 acres in order to make room for the Manhattan Project. Interesting, wow. and they all, you know, they all did. In a matter, some of them in a matter of days. Yeah, that's Moved. crazy. Yeah, I'd never heard that. Um, <laughs> now, Oak Ridge Ray didn't appear on any maps until 1949. No. Yet, at yeah. the height of World War II, it was using more electricity than New York City, and was home right. to more than 75,000 people. And, of course, many of them were young women that were recruited from small towns across the South. How were they able to keep this giant project a secret? Well, that's interesting. They they were uh, telling people, of course, not to talk about it. And some people went their entire lives and did not talk about what they did uh, there until Denise Kiernan's book, The Girls of Atomic City, kind of made it popular, and and a lot of women— started uh, making it known that, hey, I, I worked out there. I was one of those Calutron girls. Uh, one of them, Gladys Owens, came back in 2004, and uh, she saw her picture, that famous picture that Ed Westcott made, of the girls sitting on the stools, and you're looking down this long aisleway of equipment on either side, and those are the cubicles. They called them cubicle operators back then, but uh, when she saw herself, she told Steve Stowe, who was the director of the American Museum of Science and Energy at the time, that's me in that picture. So he called me and said, Ray, I found you a Calutron girl. And now that's where that term got popularized is from him telling me that and me beginning to use it. And then, of course, Denise picking up on it when she called me and said she wanted to write a book about the women in Oak Ridge. But... Uh, Gladys, when she came, I took her out to Y-12, set her up on one of those stools, made her picture. She said, Ray, I never did know what I was doing when I was working out here. Can you show me? I said, yeah, Gladys, I can show you. I opened up one of the cabinets. I said, Gladys, when you were adjusting those knobs, and that's what they did, eight hours a day, they kept that meter on a certain point in order to get that uranium-235 into the pocket up at the top. And I said, you were changing the value of a rheostat down here. She reached over and tapped me on the arm. She said, right. I still don't know what I was doing, but I know if I had any bobby pins in my hair, they just go and go stick to the wall somewhere. <laughs> Largest oh, wow. magnets in the world out there. Now, about the secrecy, there was a club formed several years after the uh, Manhattan Project, and it was the 43 Club. It was for people who were there in 1943. At their second meeting, near the end of the meeting, this man held his hand up and said, I want to ask a question. 
he said, I had to keep a, <clears throat> a, a stack of blank three by five cards in my pocket. And if I heard anybody talking about the project, I had to write down what they said and where it was and who said it. And I had to put it in an envelope and send it to the Acme Finance Company. Now, if I didn't hear anything on Friday after a week, I'd had to send in a blank card. I wonder if anybody else had to do that. About half the people in the room held their hand. So they were spying on one another, keeping that secret. Oh, my goodness. Those are amazing <laughs> stories. I'll tell you what, I want to talk just a little bit more about the the roles of women uh, and how that really shaped things. We're going to get to our first break. We're visiting with Ray okay. Smith, historian for the secret city of Oak Ridge. We'll visit with him more when we come back, so stay tuned. This is More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm Jim Brogan. We're visiting this morning with Ray Smith, a historian for the secret city of Oak Ridge. We're on every Saturday at 9 to 10 a.m. and again 3 to 4 p.m. You can also catch our podcasts online at broganfinancial.com. Click on radio. Ray, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Denise Kiernan's book, The Girls of Atomic City. And, you know, mm -hmm. the traditional roles of women changed so dramatically during World War II when they were asked to step into the workforce while their male mm -hmm. counterparts were fighting overseas. Can you expand a little bit on the, the, the role that women played in the secret city? Yes. Uh, the, no, normally you think of them as Palutron girls because of the popularity of Denise's book. And and that's true. There there were 22,482 people working at Y12 alone in uh, in, in August of uh, of 1945. But uh, many of those women were in fact Catron girls, cubicle operators at the time, and they were trained to operate those machines. In fact, uh, Tennessee Eastman was the company that had the operational responsibility and. Of course, they were trying to hire anybody they could to get uh, enough people to run those 1,152 calutrons, all batch processes. So they all needed, you know, at least several people. Some down in the in, in where the uh, vacuum pumps were. Some uh, working on the actual uh, calutrons themselves, and then the ladies working in the young girls, really right out of high school working in the uh, cubicles, keeping those things under control. And the people out in uh, uh, Berkeley, California, uh, Ernest Lawrence had invented the Calutron out there, and those people said to Tennessee Eastman, said, look, we're in a race with Germany here. We're trying to get this bomb built as fast as we can. We need to put scientists and engineers on that complicated equipment, not those young high school girls. Well, Tennessee Eastman knew they couldn't hire enough scientists and engineers to run 1,152 calutrons. They knew they needed another way. So they said, look, we'll run the contest here. You put your scientists and engineers on one bank of these calutrons, and we'll put our young girls on the other. We'll let them run for a week, and we'll see who's most productive. 
Well, you know what happened at the end of the week. The young girls would beat them hands down because they were yeah they were practicing statistical process control without ever knowing it. They were told to keep that meter on a certain number, let it drift to a control point of another number, and then bring it back. And that was all they did. So the scientists and engineers, they thought if they could fix every little problem, anything that went wrong, they'd try to fix it. Well, the equipment never took a set, so they just couldn't, they couldn't keep up with those young girls. So they went away and let Tennessee East Malone, and they did, in fact, hire young girls out of, out of, right out of high school. I told you about Gladys Owens. She lived up in Kentucky, and her best friend in high school got a job in Oak Ridge, and she sent a letter back to Gladys, and she said, Gladys, you need to get a job in Oak Ridge. There's men down here. <laughs> There wasn't any young boys up in Kentucky. They were all in the military. But Oak Ridge had the special engineer detachment of young Army men here in Oak Ridge. So Gladys came down and got her job, too. Now, you said there were many women, and it worked. And, and yes, most of them were doing that work around the K-tronch. But, but others, there was actually others doing uh, more scientific work. Virginia Coleman was a chemist working at Y-12. And Jane Greer uh, was the first lady to go through the University of Tennessee's engineering program. Now, they wouldn't let her in the engineering program, and, and they wouldn't give her a degree as an engineer. But they let her take the courses and gave her a degree as a statistician. So she came and got a job at Y-12. She was actually working in Building 9731 on a calculator, keeping up with the amount of uranium-235 being created at Y-12. And one day this Army officer walked up and looked over her shoulder. She didn't even slow down. She just kept working. But later on, she saw a picture of General Groves and recognized that he was the one that was looking over her shoulder while she was doing those calculations. But they did. They brought many women in to do jobs at Y-12. They did it over K-25, too. They had them doing leak checks, crawling over those pipes in that gaseous diffusion, making sure there wasn't any leaks. Uh, that, uh, That's that, remarkable. So, as we so hear. they had them. Yeah, they did. They had a lot it, of women doing a lot of yeah, just Yeah, hearing more and more stories about that. Let's talk a little bit about nuclear energy in the geopolitical environment, Ray. I mean, with Y-12's long relationship with the nuclear industry, you know, mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about other issues concerning the geopolitical environment when it comes to nuclear energy? Yeah, that uh, the interesting thing about nuclear energy is actually coming out of the Oak Ridge National Laboratory, the first reactor training program was held in 1946. Eugene Wigner was here at the time, and he started that program. And then Captain Rickover, uh, Admiral Rickover later, but the Captain Rickover came and went to that, brought some of his people and went to that program. And he realized that if you used highly enriched uranium, weapons-grade uranium, and you used that to build a reactor, you could build one small enough that uh, you could fit it in a submarine. And he went back and created the nuclear navy because of that knowledge he'd learned here in Oak Ridge. Now, he and Alvin Weinberg, Alvin was the director of the Oak Ridge National Laboratory for many years, they had a a relationship over the years that they communicated back and forth, and 
and wrote letters, and he was invited to the launching of the Nautilus, the first atomic sub. And an interesting thing about Alvin is that he promoted, now they built 13 reactors over the years at, at the Oak Ridge National Laboratory, and he promoted the idea of the molten salt reactor. Well, that fell, that concept fell in disfavor with the uh, Atomic Energy Commission. They wanted the, the light water reactor to be promoted, and, and in fact, turned out that's what they were, and, and, and what most of the reactors we have today are. But the interesting thing is that the interest in molten salt reactors is growing around the world, and uh, they're beginning to realize that old Alvin was right. That may be the thing that needs to be uh, in the future of nuclear reactors. You may see more of the molten salt. Uh, the design is inherently safe, and it is a, a, a superior design to, to what we have now. And I think that you'll see that coming back more and more. So, uh, yes, Oak Ridge has been a leader over the years in, in reactor technology, and in uh, in in all situations, of course, if, if there's anything that happens in the world anywhere that has to do with uh, with radiation or nuclear incident, we've got the REACTS group from the Oak Ridge Associated Universities that will go to those places and and will be able, uh, give assistance and and help in any way that we can. So Oak Ridge is involved in all aspects of nuclear energy. The other thing, let me say quickly, that Alvin Weinberg said when asked what was the most important thing Oak Ridge has ever done for the world, he said nuclear medicine helps millions of people every year. Well, the same equipment, the same science that separated the uranium for little boy also separated stable isotopes up until 1998 and actually did it in the cage run, but actually continues even today producing radioisotopes at the Oak Ridge National Laboratory that's used in nuclear medicine. So Oak Ridge has indeed had an impact on the world in many ways, not just the bomb, but all about nuclear energy, all about nuclear medicine. The heart of that discovery and that production came out of Oak Ridge. We're visiting with Ray Smith, historian for the secret city of Oak Ridge. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the future of Oak Ridge and what he sees and what he's excited about on the horizon. We'll also have our dollars and cents segment. Washington, D.C. is wanting to help workers with their pension plan buyout decision. What do we think of that and what does that mean for you? Stay tuned. This is More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Thanks for tuning in this week into More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. We're visiting this morning with Ray Smith, historian for the secret city of Oak Ridge and talking about just some incredible stories about its history. Um, we're going to talk about kind of the future of Oak Ridge. Before we do, however, get back to Ray Smith. It is time for dollars and cents. Want to be sure you are getting the most out of your retirement? For all the years of your retirement? That's 
the primary goal of More Living with Jim Brogan in our Dollars and Cents segment, where we provide you with an important financial tip that will help positively impact the quality of your life in retirement. And now, here's Jim with this week's Dollars and Cents tip. Proposed legislation out of Washington, D.C. would require companies to explain to employees the benefits and the trade-offs of taking their pension benefit as a one-time lump sum payout versus collecting a regular income stream in retirement. And when I saw that headline, I thought, you know, this is an important issue. Is when, you know, I know that fewer and fewer people are being offered pensions. Ironically, we're talking today about DOE and the city of Oak Ridge. And of course, you know, most people working out there in the DOE, you know, do have pensions and, and do have options, as do other employees uh, throughout the area uh, for you either take a income stream for life or you take a lump sum buyout. And I think that decision is a very, very crucial decision. And I think oftentimes it is made in a little bit too haphazard of a, of a process. I think that it's easy to look at the lump sum number and kind of do a little bit of a money grab there. Uh, I think that there are several things that come into play. When you take a lump sum, you are turning down a guaranteed income for life. Now, one of the things that has to be evaluated is the effect of inflation on that lifetime of income. You know, m many private employer pensions, um, and certainly the DOE contractors, they do not offer a cost of living adjustment. So the amount of income you would get now in year one or two of retirement, you know, it'd be the same in 20 years when you're 85, and it won't seem like, it'll seem like maybe half the amount of money as it does now. So every year that the effect of that pension income does go down. But if you take the lump sum, you are giving up a lifetime guarantee of income, which is very, very valuable. So I think it is a very measured and calculated decision. I think in most cases, you definitely don't want to be careful that you t don't take too much risk. If you do take the lump sum, as a general rule of thumb, taking the lump sum provides greater flexibility. It also uh, provides a greater ability to leave assets to your heirs because you're in control of the pot of money rather than just giving an income that goes away when you and maybe your spouse dies if you're married and you pick the survivor benefit. Uh, at the same point, while you do have more control, you are giving up a little bit of security when you take that lump sum. Now, you also have to look at the financial solvency of the pension plan that you're in, uh, and that's a critical part of that decision as well. So, you know, anything that can provide more education as to the options on an income stream or a lump sum is good. Ultimately, every decision uh, you, what, what's best for you may be completely different than what was best for your neighbor or your coworker, or your friend or family member. So it is a very personalized decision, and it needs a careful evaluation. You've got to project future income needs, including inflationary trends, and make sure that your life savings can provide for those inflationary pressures. 
but it really does require careful evaluation and a plan targeted to your specific needs. That's our Dollars and Cents segment for this week. You can find this week's Dollars and Cents segment and others by visiting BroganFinancial.com. Do check us out at BroganFinancial.com. We've got a, just a wealth of uh, information there. You can click on resources, and we've got tons of blogs. We've got webinars. Uh, we've got, you, know, you can also click on blog and catch my blog. You can also subscribe to my e weekly e-newsletter, which provide links to some of the content that we try to put up, put out to just help you make informed and prudent decisions that can impact the quality of your life. Today on More Living, we're visiting with Ray Smith. He's historian of the secret city of Oak Ridge, and it's just fascinating hearing the stories. Before we talk about the future, Ray, I do want to mention on energy, you know, renewable energy is becoming more and more a part of the discussion, especially with climate change and with the desire for clean energy. How does the DOE look at renewable energy and potential programs in the East Tennessee region? Well, those are, of course, things that uh, will do the best they can and need to be utilized. Uh, ultimately, the cleanest energy you're going to find is nuclear energy. And essentially, and eventually, that will come around to that. And also, with, with the fusion energy that's coming, uh, those, I believe, are the long-term future goals. Now, the renewable energies, we need to utilize them to the fullest extent possible. But in, in the long run, uh, I believe that we're going to see various kinds of nuclear energy uh, come to the forefront. Well, I'll tell you what, um, maybe we can have you on another time to talk about the pros and cons of nuclear energy itself and, uh, and, and where, right. what, what are myths and what are, what are facts. Yes. But I do want to talk a little bit about the future of Oak Ridge. Sure. You know, Oak Ridge yeah. has seen lots of growth in the past few years. What kinds mm -hmm. of things are happening now in Oak Ridge that get you excited? Well, the population in Oak Ridge is up to 32,000 now. That's uh, It's been increasing over the last few years. Uh, one of the things that's really exciting is Kairos Power is building a uh, small modular demonstration nuclear reactor out at the old K-25 site over on where the building K-33 used to sit. That's now the uh, East Tennessee Technology Parks Heritage Center. And uh, that that's going to be an exciting thing for our community to have that uh, have that reactor built there. I, I also think TVA is looking at the old Clinch River Breeder site for a potential site for a reactor at that spot. Over at the Oak Ridge National Laboratory, there's a second Spallation Neutron Source Target uh, building that uh, that's in the process of being. Uh, being built, and then at Y-12, we've got, of course, the uh, uranium processing facility is now all the buildings are up, and now they're beginning to work on on the security measures and the nuclear processing equipment that will go inside, and I think we're still on target for that to be operational in 2025. They're building a new uh, emergency response center and uh, fire hall at, at Y-12. We drove by that the other day when we were going in to uh, dedicate that sign. And, of course, the environmental management group and their cleanup operations, they've completed what is necessary over at the East Tennessee Technology Park 
and we've got the watch or the k-25 history center located over there now one of the best museums you'll find anywhere and the national parks there with the k-25 footprint <clears throat> and also the uh uh the Horizon Center is beginning to have uh, additional industry moving into it now. A couple of training buildings that are being built by Y-12 out just to the west of uh, the main part of town. So things are booming in Oak Ridge right now. Lots of things happening, people coming in. You're seeing houses going up, apartment complexes going up. Uh, it's an exciting time for Oak Ridge. Very much so. You're revisiting with Ray Smith this morning on uh, More Living with Jim Brogan. We'll have more when we come back. I want to talk a little bit about the National Historical Park and how people can learn more. So stay with us right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Please do check us out online. Go to broganfinancial.com and uh, click on radio. You can catch our podcasts of our shows, also our dollars and cents segment and the Retirement Minute, which airs every week on this station. Uh, and we got lots and lots of resources there at the website to uh, help you make informed and prudent decisions that can impact the quality of your life. We're visiting today with Ray Smith, who is historian for the Secret City of Oak Ridge. They're just incredible stories. And Ray, uh, the Manhattan Project now has a National Historic Park that is a part of the National Park Service. Tell our listeners about what they can see and experience when they visit the park. Uh, yes, the Manhattan Project National Historical Park was formed in November of 2015, and it consists of sites in Oak Ridge, in Los Alamos, New Mexico, and in Hanford, Washington, those three sites. Here in Oak Ridge, the Visitor Contact Center is located in the Children's Museum, which is up on Outer Drive, West Outer Drive. And uh, uh, that that's where the, uh, the contact center is, and that's where they have a uh, flat-top house that is back behind the museum there. And soon we're going to have a, uh, a hutment up there. That, that'll be another example of the type of housing in Oak Ridge. But there are things happening now, in, such as walking with the ranger, talking, about the history of Oak Ridge and, and like riding a bicycle with a ranger. Even we have something that they've started in the summer doing the, the reinventing the, the dances at the tennis court. The third Thursday night of every month, they're going to have dances at the tennis court over near Jackson Square. Now, let, let me mention one other thing just in passing. Jackson Square is one of the areas that was a commercial area during the Manhattan Project, Grove Center, Jefferson Center. There were about seven of them, but there really never has been a downtown Oak Ridge. And we used to have shopping center that had a downtown hardware, and it, and it kind of hinted at a downtown. But now we've got a project on the Wilson Street that's going to build a downtown area for Oak Ridge. And uh, that'll be an exciting addition to Oak Ridge as well. But back to the Manhattan Project National Historical Park, 
those things that are happening, are, and actually the whole of the city is a part of the park, not not just any one location. And we're hoping to see the bus tours start back up in June of this year. That will take people to the a graphite reactor, which is a part of the designated as a part of the Manhattan Project National Historical Park. And we'll again be able to go into the Y-12 History Center, which has been closed now to the public because of COVID uh, for many months. But it's being opened back up now uh, from Monday through Thursday. And then uh, the other thing that we have in the city now that is I think a good addition to the American Museum of Science and Energy that talks about the uh, the three government facilities and what's happening there was uh, also with an introduction to the Manhattan Project. But the history of the city of Oak Ridge is now being covered well by the Oak Ridge History Museum that's a part of the Oak Ridge Heritage and Preservation Association, the local historical society there in Oak Ridge, and of course the K-25 Museum and the American Museum of Science and Energy. So there are a number of museums that are showing our history well, and the Manhattan Project National Historical Park works with all of those museums, putting rotating displays up of photographs by Ed Westcott and uh, and also providing uh, tours of various areas within the city. So we're really proud of our national park. Absolutely. Now, with your uh, your column in the Oak Ridge, or historically speaking, you've covered everything mm-hmm. from area to history, area history to big topics like integration in the 1960s. Uh, yeah. What is another one of your favorite stories that you've uncovered over the years? Well, that that Scarborough '85 story uh, that has has to be among the highest, and and that fact that we now have. Uh, Sheila Arnold, who is a renowned storyteller, who has come to Oak Ridge. I gave her a tour of the city, and she's interviewed people and is going to tell the story of the Scarborough 85, the 85 students that integrated or uh, desegregated the Oak Ridge High School and Robertsville Junior High in 1955. First desegregation of public school in the southeast was there in Oak Ridge. And for too many years, we have not recognized those people or given appropriate attention to that historical achievement that those 85 students uh, accomplished. And the uh, Flatwater Tales uh, Storytelling Festival is June the 3rd and the 4th in the historic Grove Center, uh, Grove Theater, and uh, Sheila Arnold will be one of the three storytellers that will be featured there. Uh, and she will tell the story of the Oak Ridge 85, or the Scarborough 85 on Friday night, June the 3rd. Now, one of the other things that I'm real proud of. Hey, Ray, Ray is, there a, is, there a, is there an easy way for people to get more information on that? Oh, yeah. You can go to the, it's a web, there's a website. It's on, uh, on uh, Facebook. Uh, just look for Flatwater Tales Storytelling Festival online, okay. and then you can get tickets through Eventbrite. And uh, I'm even going to be offering a free tour of, uh, of Oak Ridge, history tour of Oak Ridge, for anybody that wants it during the Storytelling Festival. Uh, not during the time the storytellers are talking, 
but it's some other times during the day. <laughs> yes, sir. Hey, Ray, what do you hope, uh, just kind of in closing here, we just got a couple of minutes here left, but what do yeah. you hope with your knowledge and inside, you know, in, in all these decades of personal experience, what do you want to see for the future of the Secret City? Well, I'm happy to see that uh, our population is increasing. Uh, you have to realize that Oak Ridge at one time had a very high population of scientific and engineering folks. And then over time, the the, the situation has changed somewhat in that now, even in the city of Oak Ridge, free and reduced lunches for children in schools is higher than it's ever been. Uh, so the, the population in Oak Ridge has changed over time, and, and it's important. We still have some of the best school system in the nation in Oak Ridge, and we're, we're maintaining that, and I'm, we're very proud of our schools. And, uh, and the, the people coming into Oak Ridge now, the young people coming in, uh, the future is so bright for opportunities in Oak Ridge, and, and I'm just glad to see that growth happening. And, of course, those things I just mentioned about what's happening out in the industrial parks, uh, that's tremendous when you stop and think about the potential. Oak Ridge has been a government town all along. As you know, some nearly 15,000 people work out there from 20 counties come in to work at the government sites, and, that, and that's not going away. That's going to continue for the foreseeable future. But these other industries coming in are going to provide additional opportunities, and the fact that we're seeing lots of young families come into Oak Ridge is exciting. Well, that's great. Uh, Oak Ridge has had such an impact historically. Sounds like it's got a mm -hmm. lot of great things in its future growth, and it's yeah. really kind of a, a, a not a secret gem here next to Knoxville, <laughs> but certainly a, a gem just right down the road. Ray Smith, yeah, his, go go ahead. No, no. I say Oak Ridge is proud to have Knoxville as our, our yeah. in our <laughs> in our area. Well, and with the t technology corridor and, and, and all the things yeah. with yeah. with with the University of Tennessee and then with ORNL, there are just so many great mm -hmm. things that have come out of Knoxville that, that many of us don't already know. Yeah, aware there is. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can't I can't miss this opportunity of telling you that Lee Rittinger, who's a professor at the University of Tennessee, retired now, uh, allowed me to help him teach a course over there before he retired. About I told stories, he taught the course. But at the end of that, I told him, you've got enough material here for a book. And we now a team of uh, writers have gotten together and have written a book about the connection between the University of Tennessee and Oak Ridge. It should be coming out in 2023. And there That's, are some tremendous connections between Knoxville, especially the university, and yeah, the sure city are. of Oak Ridge. There mm -hmm. sure are. Well, we look forward to that coming out. Well, Ray, I, I hate yeah. it. We're out of time, but thank you so much for being yeah. with us again. It's always a pleasure and, and so yeah. fascinating to hear these stories. <laughs> yeah, glad to do it. Thank you. That's Ray Smith, historian for the secret city of Oak Ridge. Always fascinating. Uh, check out all of our resources online. Our radio show is with you every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. And again, from 3 to 4 p.m., you can catch all of our podcasts online. I do want to just say a quick note about the volatility in the stock market. I expect a lot of choppiness through the rest of this year. Uh, I don't think the world is falling, uh, you know, but you never know where the market's going to go. 
And this is where a well-defined, well-developed financial plan that coordinates your income needs with your, your desire for long-term growth to fight inflation becomes so critically important. In addition to your Social Security election, it actually becomes even more important in time like these. Uh, thank you to Chris for engineering the show. Thank you, Jill, for producing the show. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. This is More Living with Jim Brogan, only on the News and Talk of East Tennessee, News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.